0: This is Report to Wyoming.
1: This show targets local issues in Natrona County where I talk to real people about their thoughts and ideas. I'm sitting with the Casper Police's public information officer and we talk about her role in the community, along with fentanyl in the community, and things that the police are looking out for this summer. You said three months and one day since you've turned your phone off. Is that how long you've been the PIO?
0: Yes. So yesterday was my three-month mark on the 13th.
1: Wow. Congratulations. Thank you.
0: I'm an old-timer now. Where did you jump from? Um, I had been in mental health, um, have a social work degree. I'd been doing a lot of different things. And then I had a couple of friends in the community where I just said, hey, I can give you a year. What do you need from me? So that's super fun. I had worked um, in real estate And then um, customer service for the Home Depot, which was where I did the most therapy that I've ever done in my life.
1: Oh, I'm sure. About appliances, yes. (laughs) Married couples coming in, and I swear to God, I've never been closer to divorcing my husband than in a Home Depot. I feel like I've never seen people
0: closer to legitimate murder than, like, three times trying to deliver a dishwasher.
1: Oh, sure, yeah. (laughs) Been through all of that. Right, Is the PIO technically law enforcement? Is it appropriate to say, what made you want a career in law enforcement? For the listeners, public information officers. It's a little different. Right. So historically,
0: um, at the Casper PD and nationally, public information officer has been a police officer, a sworn officer, who that was just kind of part of what was on their plate. Um, The movement and that shift to having a civilian officer has you know, been fueled by a lot of the other things that you need in your background. You know, I, my first degree was in communications and then I was in education. And then as a social worker, like I said, I use those educational background degrees every single day. And so, um, I was part of a huge pool actually, when they were looking for the PIO, there were 68 people. That's not bragging. I'm just saying I'm really lucky, (laughs) but there were 68 people in that pool. And um, it was a really strenuous interview process. Um, the first assignment we had homework assignments. The first assignment was to write. Um, I don't know. It was like an entire system of how the communications from the police department should go out, and it was thirty pages. It was an academic paper. I'm so grateful that I had the time and had been, you know, in school in the last ten years and capability of writing it. But what um, they were looking for. It was definitely a civilian background, um, ready to come into that department. And so um, policing, government, familiar with it, but I have definitely had a
1: learning curve. When I started here, it was like they they said, you're going to be drinking from a fire hose for a little while. So I was curious about what the three months has been like for you.
0: Right. You know, that drinking from a fire hose is no joke. Um, The training was definitely... uh, sworn officer based. So going through just the programs that they use and um, shadowing at dispatch, just kind of trying to have a a background in where I would be getting the information from. So for the first three weeks, I didn't even interact with the press. Um, Lieutenant Bullard was training me. He had been doing a lot of the PIO um, responsibilities with a team since um, for about eight months. And so it was it was crazy just learning all of the new systems and all the places i would get, be getting my information and you know how things should work in a perfect world and then knowing that it is never even a perfect 25 minutes in a row. It's always crazy.
1: Right, I know now not to ask certain agencies what a typical day looks like, but <laughs> right. how are you? It seems like you're everywhere all at once. There's always a PIO somewhere, whether it's with the Sheriff's Office, Kira Grogan or someone, and it's always odd hours. It's the way it works, so how does that, How does your life structured around this? This
0: position is a great fit for me. I kind of thrive in chaos, and I really enjoy it. I like being everywhere and back and forth. And um, But as far as it working around my life, it just kind of is a seamless transition. I'm super fortunate in this position that um, the chief of police and I had six or seven interviews before I started. And that was one of the things, you know, was that he wanted me to have the autonomy that I needed to be able to say, Hey, I'm going to be at the rec center or up on the mountain with camp kids. And then also, you know, there's a a. 2am crime that I need to be at. And so, um, it just had to work in a way where, um, there's just a lot of trust. You know, I'm going to put in 40 hours a week. I have yet to only have a 40 hour work week, but I love it. And so it's really nice. I can say, hey, you know what? It's two o'clock. I'm going to go home. I'm going to take a nap or go to the gym. One of those happens way more often than the other, but (laughs) it's nice. And so I just, it is, it's our whole lives. We don't turn off our phones. Um, I say, if I want to play or take, you know, some time off, I leave the state and then that PIO team of officers and sworn's takes over for you know 48 hours while I'm gone.
1: And it's a tough job because people want to know everything right away and you sort of have to stall I guess not really stall you just say sorry I can't tell you that, right? Because you have to sort of wait till facts unfold. There's a lot of speculation and we can talk about a case in point soon, but yeah.
0: Right. So um you know it is really about um that transparency is so important and um i specifically want to get it out as quickly as possible as you know just as that functioning member of the police department that's doing that but that transparency is something that casper relies on it's been you know it's been touted for years since chief mcfeeters has been here it's really been one of the um the purposes of our media positions and so when i'm putting out that information my biggest concern is that it's accurate um I, I love brains and I love how humans work and communicate. And so one of the things that I often say is that facts are just facts. You know, if I can put out accurate information, this is how fast the car was going, this is how many passengers there were, this is who we're looking for specifically, then the great part about the media here is that that narrative Is theirs and it comes from all different places. We all have our own truths or how we relate to things, but that factual, accurate information as quickly as possible to be able to get it out is just our number one concern.
1: And I've certainly learned that sometimes. We don't get the full picture because there is an active investigation going on. So giving up some of that information, even if you know, it's I feel like people get frustrated, like someone's holding cards or something like not sharing everything. But it can be dangerous for victims or potential victims. So I like to throw that out there because certainly people get upset. Like if there's more information, we should know. But sometimes it's dangerous. So
0: absolutely. You know, um, The Casper Police Department, when we serve and protect, it's not just the public we're serving and protecting, the public that wants to know. Um, A lot of times it's a victim whose next of kin hasn't been identified yet, or it's someone who potentially will have charges pressed against them, not by us, but maybe even civilly. And so we don't want to put out information that would jeopardize not only a crime scene, but also people's lives. We're definitely trying so hard to get that information out, the factual information quickly. But yeah, if it's going to put someone in danger or it's going to put the potential for prosecution in danger or, you know, People always talk about juries and tainting the pool and things like that. But if we can put that information out quickly and to the right people, which for me is the press, if we can get it out to the press as quickly as possible, we're going to have other people who want to know. But um, it's pretty easy. Things unfold pretty quickly. And those reports are available nicely. It's a, it's a great time to be in media.
1: No, the news releases are helpful, for sure. Because when it's 2 a.m. in the morning with two kids, I'm just not going to get up and go out. Morton might. Tom Morton. Right.
0: <laughs> I've Pence. seen Tom at very early yeah. before dark 30. Oh, he's crazy. He's the best.
1: I love him for that. <laughs> right. One of the examples I was thinking about was, I think it was East 3rd Street. It was the suspicious death that um, was eventually dubbed homicide. Right. So that's still an active investigation, right? Absolutely. Okay. Because one thing that kind of concerned me... But there's a lot to, I don't want to assume anything. You know, what you're saying is the way that people read things or their truths. Um, I read read it as active killer on the loose. But, right. so we know it was a homicide, but the public is not in danger. I'll just leave it at that. It's hard not to run (laughs) wild with that as a reporter, you know. For sure. Okay, this is an active investigation. There, you know, there are details that we don't get yet. But nothing, am I correct to say nothing else has unfolded on that.
0: Uh, Yes, that it's still very active in the investigation um, purposes of that. You know, one of the great things about that case that I liked, that I thought was great, is that, um, first of all, it did, it came in as that suspicious call. And so, you know, a suspicious, we get them all the time. And then it did evolve into um, a death That neighborhood, I was there that night. I was trying to get out of town the next morning to a conference, but that never works out. Um, And as I was there with the press and we had people taking pictures and taking videos and we were giving statements and we had this huge crime scene blocked off for, I don't know, eight or nine hours. It was long. There were people out on their porches. That's a super populous neighborhood. You know, there's a lot of twin homes and multifamily residences and apartments there. So there were so many people outside. It was a beautiful spring evening. You know, they were talking and smoking and on their phones and just sitting out there. And as I was leaving, I stopped at multiple porches and said, hey, thank you for being so respectful. You know, they weren't heckling officers or yelling questions or walking over or trying to get on the crime scene. Just so many incredible people in our community who were interested were in their neighborhood. You know, you want to know what's going on. But just, it was a beautiful example of people respecting law enforcement and wanting to know what was going on and just doing what they can do. And so many people said, Thank you, you know, for coming over and talking to us and for saying that we can be out here. People, I think, they were worried that, you know, we maybe wouldn't want them there or that they were getting in the way or something. But it it wasn't. It was just kind of a neighborhood coming together to see what was going on. And um, two weeks after that, we had what we just called a neighborhood um, event and the chief of police and captain Dabney and I, and then, um, I think Kason came with us and we just went and took camping chairs and sat down and said, guys, this is an open investigation, but we want to know how you're feeling. We know, you know, the whole point of it was, um, in a therapeutic way, not necessarily a, therapeutic environment, but just in a way to say, we know that this changes your life. It changes the way you hear loud noises. It changes the way you see someone that you don't recognize walking through your neighborhood. And so um, when we go back to talking, you know, about the right people getting the information as quickly as possible, as a department, we were in that neighborhood multiple times, just talking to the people who weren't a part of you know the investigation or anything and just saying hey we see you and we hear you and we want you to know that the changes that this brings about in your everyday life are important and and just that we support you because yeah it's it's hard to be on the outside
1: oh that's beautiful okay well my next question i want to make sure i'm getting this right so i'm reading is that it's no surprise that fentanyl has become a pretty big problem nationwide. And I know at the courts here in Casper, well, first of all, I see people that are arrested for felony weight amounts of fentanyl almost weekly. And the district attorneys or the assistant district attorneys have said more than once that Casper's biggest drug problem was once meth, but that it's since been usurped by fentanyl and that it's ravaging the community with overdoses. Um, Is this true? So without
0: any specific comments on cases, um, fentanyl is a huge national um, problem and I'm not a medical professional, um, but I have kids in the community, teenagers and the like. And, um, you know, the fentanyl issue is that such small doses are deadly. And so, yeah, it's, you know, it's a huge problem. Um, Most of the fentanyl issues that we see are actually... Well, within our community, the, the the trafficking of it in huge amounts, that's what the district attorneys are seeing, you know, and that's what we're seeing on the news. Somebody had 1,500 little blue pills, things like that. But what we're seeing as far as our community goes is, um, you know, someone running out of their hydrocodone or their Percocet and buying it not from a pharmacy, getting it somewhere other than their doctor because those pills look exactly Like anything, you know, you can Google a pill that you get on the street and it says it's a Percocet pill. And so the biggest problem we've seen so far regarding fentanyl in our community is that um, people who are, you know, should know better and wouldn't be buying fentanyl in general are getting it and then having problems.
1: It's much stronger, right, than your typical opioid? So
0: we are way out of my scope here. <laughs> no, I
1: plan to, I want to do a deep dive too. So right. I can, at the end, I'll put some, I'll do a fact check at the end. If you don't know, it's fine. Cause I'm That's, really interested. I don't, we hear fentanyl, fentanyl, fentanyl. Right. News so nationally.
0: yeah, it is such a small amount. Like the tip of a sharpened pencil lead is a deadly amount. Um, we actually have um, new Uh, new technology that the officers are able to use because we don't even want officers touching what could be fentanyl. So we have some cool new machines that have two lasers that come together and tell and identify the substance. So the officers don't even have to pick something up off of the dash of a car because it's just, it, you know, it can be absorbed through the skin. It's so incredibly lethal in such tiny amounts. One of the things that I tell my kids is that, you know, if the person giving you, your drugs please don't do drugs kids don't buy drugs but if the person giving you your drugs if they're not the smartest person you know with the scientific scales to be able to measure the tiny tiny amounts of fentanyl that you would need don't take it i mean it takes a lot of work to use fentanyl in a medically appropriate way
1: right well yeah there's an age where People are more likely to experiment with drugs, and I have um, high school siblings, and I just think God, fentanyl scares the crap out of me. It's it wasn't something, it wasn't even in my vocabulary right. back in the early aughts. I graduated two thousand eleven. <laughs> it's been a minute, but it just it didn't. I mean, really, and I don't even think until five years ago I used that word, and now I'm like, yeah, fentanyl. It's 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 everywhere. Such a per- pervasive thing, right? And now not all of us see any of the deaths from it, and it's not, you know, certainly published on the coroner's website. So is there any way for you to tell us, generally speaking, if overdoses are happening every week? Or is this kind of a, an exaggeration on some people's parts? Ooh,
0: do you know what? I could not officially say that lethal overdoses were happening every week, but it doesn't sound outside of reality to me.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'm not being morbid either because I know how lethal it can be. I'm just trying to get a sense of what's going on in our community. Right. Where there's a heavy prevalence of drugs, which isn't uncommon in big big cities. I'm not naive. But especially in the case of fentanyl, there's bound to be other trouble. That puts residents at risk with high pe- high speed chases, guns, other violence. Have the police had to increase staff to accommodate this or am I... Again, presuming things are just getting worse. So there's a couple of parts to that question. We,
0: like everyone in the country, are actually down officers. And so those staffing shortages are across the board. Um, We're down about 20%. So unfortunately, would more staffing be helpful? Absolutely, yes. It would be great if we were growing, but we're not even maintaining. And so what I see happening is that um, the lesser crimes that are still important to people. But, you know, the um, the property crimes just have to be pushed away or put on, you know, a back burner so that the most important things, you know, protecting human life can be investigated. And so what we see happening now is that, um, yeah, we just, you just have to prioritize. And definitely drug crimes are on our priority list.
1: Is it, um, do you guys know if, most of the contraband is coming from Denver? Um, I don't know that
0: that would be right. I, I think it comes from everywhere. We definitely see it from different places we've, we've had um, in the mail, you know, right. interstate. Um, so I'm sure some of it is, but I couldn't give you evidence.
1: The mail one's interesting to me because you could theoretically send drugs to someone that didn't ask for them and then they're in trouble. Or, I mean, you don't have to put a return address on it. I have no idea how they're investigating those. It's really weird.
0: <laughs> right. You know, I hope that's not happening. But we do have really awesome investigators. So it wouldn't be an immediate. If you get drugs sent to you and you don't know where they're from, please still report them and let us look into it. We wouldn't want anyone to be afraid that they were going to get in trouble because they had been receiving a package that they didn't order
1: I probably gave the wrong person an idea. No, it just seems like a really good way to screw up someone's day. Right. Um, I've also heard about you know months ago, the big thing that the news agencies were reporting on, again, national news agencies and some local agencies, were these candy-colored, kind of shaped fentanyl pills. And I just wondered if that's actually something we've seen here. Of course, it's always something, especially as a parent, to be on the lookout for. But is that very prevalent here? Um, So no, we haven't
0: seen, um, so far in Casper, you're right, always be on, you know, have things on your radar, be protecting each other. Um, We haven't seen the fentanyl disguised as candy. Um, THC is our biggest issue when it comes to marketing that is very obviously being marketed to younger kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And THC,
1: we've seen lots of it. I'm also curious about strategies for keeping drugs out of schools. So when I talked to the Youth Crisis Center the director, he said that they're seeing more kids using fentanyl. Are you guys working on ways to target young people? Is that your agency? How are police kind of targeting these young people so that it doesn't become a bigger issue down the road? Unfortunately and
0: fortunately, we have a very specific um, job, which is the policing part of it and that excellence in policing services. Uh, We work super closely with the school district um, in that we have School resource officers in the high schools and junior highs, and then they also go between the elementary schools. We have uh, new school resources officers coming on um, this summer so that we'll be fully staffed with SROs at the, uh, when school starts again for 2023. Um, you know, there are so many different programs going on within the schools that we are um, super supportive of. And the best thing that our officers can do, especially with the kiddos in the schools, is be there is just be visible so that proximity you know that high fives in the hallway and not just you know interacting with the naughty kids is something that our SROs, sros are really proud of they have really good relationships especially with you know that junior high high school age group where that you're talking about where yeah we just want kiddos to be prepared and to have all the information so that they can make informed decisions as they go out into the community
1: did the police have any fun items on their agenda this summer <laughs> to change the subject completely? Right. You know
0: what? There are so many fun things going on. It's it's easy to get lost in the calls and all of that. But um, So right now, actually, this week is wild. Of course, it's rodeo week, but it's also um, first responders night at the Spuds on Friday. And we have a bunch of officers from all around the state doing um oh, I always call it the wrong thing, Camp Postcard up on the mountain. Oh, that DJ Nike was at last night. Oh, nice. And so they did a dance, and he's been DJing there, I guess, for 10 years. And they gave him a big framed picture of 10 years of DJ Nike nights, which I totally want to see. winning
1: awards left and right.
0: I know. Can't keep Jeez. him down. But, um, you know, there's there's fun things. There's Father's Day events. Um, there's Our officers are always, you know, just... Even just stopping, like the neighborhood's having a block party or lemonade stands, you know, just being out in the community. uh, We had our block party in May. We have um, some David Street Station events that we go to as the summer goes on.
1: So we try to have a little bit of fun every once in a while. As um, the summer months continue with Open Container, I bet you guys are pretty busy. So it's definitely
0: on our radar, you know, that um, Open Container, when used appropriately and within the boundaries that have been set by city council, is a great way, you know, for the community to get together and enjoy themselves and be able to walk outside or between restaurants or between a concert and wherever they're getting their alcoholic beverages. So uh, like most things, when people are acting within the law and enjoying themselves, we are so happy to, you know, just be around for the protection of the citizens. But um, but you're right. There Summer brings all of us out, and it seems like we're getting a very short one. This has been a lovely spring, but it looks like we'll just have a very short summer. Mm-hmm. So definitely on our radar. Um, and the safety part of it, you know, the boating with alcohol and the evening drives home. We're just... The safety part of it is the issue.
1: Yeah. Is that... When we talk about boating, is this going to be more sheriff's office, like towards Alcova and Pathfinder? Uh,
0: Yes. So a lot of county stuff there. Of course, um, the agencies work beautifully and nearly seamlessly together, which is so nice. Um, But also, you know, um, floating the river or... Yeah, that's the only one I can think of. No splash pad driving. I think they'll be all right.
1: (laughs) Well, is there anything that I haven't touched on that you wanted to
0: talk about? We have a really fun new DUI campaign coming out with kiddo drawings. We asked uh, a group of kids, and I said, I want them to be young enough that, you know, riding a unicorn airplane home is totally within their reality. And they did not disappoint. I can't oh. even wait. We have Officer Gonzalez is going to start getting on camera and putting those out there. So we have some fun things. Um We just... We're just like everybody else. We really want to get out and enjoy the community and the summer months. So thank you so much for having me. I definitely want to get this out there.
1: Yes. And I'd love to have you back at another, a future day down the road. For sure. We try to talk to all of our agencies. And so I hadn't gotten a chance to talk to you guys as they were sort of figuring out who was going to be the next person. Right. And here I am. Thank you so much for your time. (laughs) Absolutely. During the podcast, I said I would do a deep dive follow-up on fentanyl. So first, I went to the Drug Enforcement Administration's page, and I discovered that fentanyl was first developed in 1959 and introduced in the 60s as an intravenous anesthetic. It's legally manufactured and distributed in the United States today. It is a pharmaceutical and a synthetic opioid approved for treating severe pain, typically advanced cancer pain. It's 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine. It's usually prescribed in the form of transdermal patches or lozenges. This from the CDC. It's fast-acting, and it has less side effects than other opioids. It's even frequently given by nasal spray to children who need quick pain management, typically following trauma. It was developed over 60 years ago, and it's been used extensively in healthcare facilities for decades. It should also be noted that fentanyl is associated with a high likelihood of dependency, abuse, and addiction. Repeated use builds a tolerance to the drug, meaning higher dosage are needed for users to achieve the desired effect. Fentanyl rewires the reward centers of the brain, causing the user to continue seeking the drug and making it difficult to stop using for some. The American Addiction Centers say that even if you're taking fentanyl as instructed by a doctor, you could still develop dependence and end up needing to seek treatment for addiction. I said that it was 100 times more potent than morphine, and it's 50 times more potent than heroin. It was originally designed to block the feeling of pain. Not just physical pain, but also emotional pain. So not only does it remove negative feelings, it also creates a strong sense of euphoria in users. It's this feeling that so many Americans have died trying to achieve... As once you start using fentanyl regularly, your tolerance increases and so too does the amount that one needs to feel inebriated. There are a host of negative side effects, including blurred vision, shallow breathing, frequent nausea, all possible signs of fentanyl abuse and should be a cause for concern. I also feel like I should add here that even two milligrams of fentanyl can be enough to cause a fatal overdose. There have been several reports of prescribed fentanyl leading to overdoses in hospitals. In June 2019, a doctor was charged with killing 25 people over four years by prescribing fatal doses of fentanyl at hospitals in Ohio. Although the doctor claims he was only trying to provide comfort to dying patients, this case demonstrates the risk of administering fentanyl in doses exceeding what is typically prescribed. In some cases, fentanyl poses too much risk to certain patients and shouldn't be administered at all. A recent fentanyl study in cancer patients revealed that up to half of the patients never should have been prescribed the drug in the first place. Illicit fentanyl is often injected, snorted or sniffed, smoked or taken orally by a pill or tablet. It can also be spiked onto blotter paper. Fentanyl patches are abused by removing its gel contents and then injecting or ingesting the contents somehow. Patches have also been frozen, cut into pieces and placed under the tongue or in the cheek cavity. Illicit-produced fentanyl is sold alone or in combination with heroin and many other substances. It's been identified in counterfeit pills, mimicking pharmaceutical drugs such as oxycodone. According to the National Forensic Laboratory Information System, reports on fentanyl, both pharmaceutical and clandestinely produced, increased from nearly 5,400 in 2014 to over 56,500 in 2017, as reported by federal, state, and local forensic labs in the United States. But in 2022, the Drug Enforcement Administration announced the seizure of over 379 million deadly doses of fentanyl. It is the deadliest drug crisis in U.S. history. Addiction experts talk about this increase in the prevalence of fentanyl um, in three waves. The first wave began with prescription pills like Oxycontin. The second wave began around 2010, when prescription opioids became much harder to obtain and more expensive. So opioid users switched to heroin, which provides the same effect, but it was cheaper. And now we're in the third wave, with fentanyl substituting for the heroin. Fentanyl is infiltrating Wyoming communities, like the rest of the nation, from our major metro areas to our small towns, and it's threatening the lives of our citizens and children. Precursor chemicals, to make fentanyl are often created in labs in China before being shipped to cartels in Mexico, according to the DEA. From there, the drug is manufactured and pressed into pills or powders being smuggled in the United States. Illicit fentanyl batches have gotten more dangerous over time as they're more often mixed with higher concentrations of the drug. It's now even being mixed with a non-opioid substance called xylazine, which can cause prolonged unconsciousness and rotting wounds that may require amputation. U.S. officials have pressured the Mexican government to crack down on the cartels and synthetic opioid trade. Federal reports state that the DEA and Mexican officials dismantled some fentanyl labs and pill presses in 2018 and 19, but international tension remains around Mexico's role in stopping the flow of drugs. Giving up fentanyl after a long time is challenging because the body has to get used to functioning without it. Withdrawal symptoms usually start within 12 hours after the last dose, and people describe them as horrific. There's goose flesh, bouts of chills, irritability, insomnia, loss of appetite, depression, general weakness. If your use of fentanyl is affecting your health, your family, your relationships, work, school, your financial life, or other situations, or you're concerned about someone else... You can find help and support. The Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration has a national helpline. It's 1-800-662-HELP or 1-800-662-4357, also known as the Treatment Referral Routing Service. It's a confidential, free, 24-hour-a-day, 365-day-a-year information service in English and Spanish. For people or family members facing mental or substance abuse disorders, this service provides referrals to local treatment facilities, support groups, and community-based organizations. This has been Report to Wyoming, presented in the public interest by Town Square Media.